Welcome to the 19th ESC Every Soldier Counts podcast. Wherever you find American troops today, you'll find the men of the Transportation Corps. Enough and on time. That's the story we tell you today. The story of the Army Quartermaster Corps. These youthful servicemen are members of the Army's Military Police Corps. One of the most important forces behind the line. The Army Ordnance Corps. Welcome again to the 19th ESC Every Soldier Counts podcast. I am Sergeant First Class Adam Ross, Public Affairs NCOIC for 19th Expeditionary Sustainment Command. And in today's episode, we are speaking with Captain Ryan Seaver, the Behavioral Health Officer for Area 4. Sir, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, so we're looking forward to having a good conversation with you. Today, we're going to be talking about um, all sorts of behavioral health related uh, topics, what resources are available to soldiers soldiers and family members in Area 4, and kind of just uh, maybe some debunking some myths about uh, what, what's what's out there. So first of all, sir, could you tell me a little bit about what brought you to the Army's behavioral health career field? Sure. So I think uh, behavioral health is something that I have been passionate about for a large majority of my life. Um, in terms of being in the Army, it's a huge need, right? And it's a conversation that doesn't happen very often. And so I think the purpose today is really to start this conversation and to bring awareness not only to behavioral health, but really to normalize uh, talking about behavioral health and uh, just continuing that conversation and putting a putting a face to the helping side of military medicine and behavioral health in general. And so were you involved in this kind of uh, specialty before you joined the Army? I was. So um, a short background, I've been in college consecutively since 2006, so a long time. So along the way, I got a master's in marriage and family therapy. And so I worked um, after that with little kids. So I worked at primarily elementary school, middle school, and really working with uh, underserved populations, underserved families. And so with that, I saw a lot of veterans and I saw a lot of really just the need for um, additional support. And so from there, I uh, became interested in doing the testing piece and really kind of digging deeper into what it takes to be uh, an embedded uh, behavioral health person, right? So really getting on the front lines and being active, not just sitting in a clinic and um, you know seeing patients, which I love to do, right? But a uh, different piece of that that's missing from the civilian sector is that outreach piece, the prevention piece, uh, not so different than what we're doing today, right? Trying mm-hmm. to reach the masses and... Um, really help people understand. And so I think that's the main difference and the main importance of a behavioral health officer is really being able to have those conversations, honest conversations, and um, give everybody an accurate understanding of what behavioral health is and what behavioral health isn't. So even as a civilian, you could see that veterans were a little underserved maybe, or there's maybe a, was there a disconnect between civilians and, and veterans, like kind of what, what kind of care they needed? So in theory, um, veterans have, excuse me, have access to care, right? So we have a great, we have a huge uh, veterans administration. I think the challenge with veterans is similar to the challenges that active duty personnel face. And it's uh, really about that stigma and it's about, um, admitting and acknowledging that something uh, something might be a little bit different. 
and it's not, uh, I use the word different and not wrong because uh, behavioral health in general is not necessarily uh, a wrong, right? It's, we, we always lean towards these diagnoses or this, um, you know, I have something wrong, I'm broken. But in actuality, uh, there's a broad range of uh, behavioral health, right? Just like when we talk about physical fitness, uh, there's a broad range. Somebody who doesn't work out is not going to be as physically fit as somebody who goes to the gym every day. And so if you take that approach to understanding behavioral health, it's uh, not so dissimilar, right? So if you don't actively take care of your behavioral health or your mental health, then um, you're not going to uh, you're not going to um, thrive. Right. Whereas if you go to the behavior health gym every day, your behavior health is going to be stronger. You're going to be able to uh, develop that resiliency and the ability to combat uh, daily stressors. Well, I think that's a great way to put it, sir. Yeah. And so if if soldiers go to the behavioral health gym, that is that is your office, kind of what, what would that process be like? Sure. And so uh, I'll make a clarification there. So the going to the behavioral health gym doesn't have to be coming to my office, okay, right? Sure. So um, you can think of my office more like going to physical therapy, right? So, um, but I'll get back to your behavioral health gym mm-hmm. question, right? So what it looks like for uh, coming into my office is very, very low stress, right? So initially you will chat with either myself, one of my um, civilian counterparts, or a behavioral health technician. And we'll just, uh, we'll get some information, but really it's about starting that conversation and kind of hearing from you. We are not going to tell you you're wrong. We're not going to tell you that um, you're doing something inappropriate, right? It's really about uh, listening and gaining an understanding of who you are, where you came from, and how we can help. Uh, the way that I frame it in my office personally is that we're on the same team. We are not, um, I'm not going to um, provide you um, stuff to do without saying, hey, I either do it myself or let me tell you how I can help you in this process. And so really at the end of the day, it's what can I do for you? I am an asset to the individual soldier to make wherever they're at in their life to uh, make those improvements and help them along the way. But what are what are some ways soldiers can go to their own behavioral health gym, as you kind of put it earlier? Sure. So I think the uh, the first thing we need to look at is the priority that uh, we take as as soldiers and as humans, right? So um, the army tells us we have to be physically fit, right? And so that's why um, most most units mandate uh, PT every morning, right? We go, we run, we do push-ups, we lift weights to improve that physical fitness. And so I think uh, making a priority for that behavioral health fitness is just as important. And we're seeing a trend in that direction across all branches um, that behavioral health is becoming a focus um, in prevention rather than um, kind of catching it after something has happened, right? And so it's important to take care of yourself daily and so whether that be five minutes a day of something like mindfulness meditation or if you're doing something active um, like self-care you can go to the gym and that can be part of your mental health routine right but also you're allowed to um, watch a watch a Netflix show right or a uh, streaming service show it's uh, really about the intention behind it right and so if you're doing something to escape then you're not taking care of your mental health but 
if you are uh, setting aside an hour to be present, uh, to really be all in on what you're doing, that allows you to recharge your batteries. And so when we talk about going to the mental health gym, it's really about what are you doing to recharge your batteries and to take care of yourself so that you can uh, approach the stresses of that day, of the next day, with full energy. a challenge that we find a lot of times in uh, the behavioral health world and just as humans in general is that we don't like to face the difficult things, right? We want to push them off as much as possible. But what happens, uh, I like to use the analogy of a Coke bottle, right? So um, you can shake a Coke bottle once and nothing happens, right? But the more and more we shake a Coke bottle, um, eventually it's going to explode. And so the same thing happens with behavioral health uh, with these stressors, right? One stressor we can ignore and we think nothing's happening, right? But the more and more times we uh, encounter these stressors without taking care of them, um, then eventually it's going to get to a point where uh, we do see it affecting other areas of our lives, right? So I'm showing up late to work or I am uh, being grumpy at work, being angry at work when normally I'm not an angry individual, but all of these life stressors that I haven't taken care of are starting to rear their ugly heads. And so that's why it's important every day to do something for yourself. Uh, It looks different for everybody, but uh, it can be physical, it can be mental, it can just be something uh, that's done with intention. And I think that's the important part is that whatever we're doing for self-care and wellness, we have to do it with that purpose rather than doing it as an escape. And so I, I, I thought that was interesting, sir, what you said about between escape and being present and doing something intentionally. So what, what, are, some, what are some tips you give to, to people to um, maybe help them with that difference there and to do it in a positive way? Yeah, so that's an excellent question because it's not something that we do naturally, right? And that's, um, that's a big part of what behavioral health is, is really um, understanding yourself because a lot of these things we do every day anyways, right? And so it's really about the purpose. And so when we talk about doing things mindfully or doing things with intention, um, and real a really easy basic strategy that we can do is when we're doing an activity, we can focus on the five senses, right? And so what that's doing is it's getting us out of our environment, it's getting us out of our head and really uh, helping us recenter on what's going on in the present. So, you know, what am I seeing? What am I hearing? What am I smelling in this moment? It's not that the smell is going to make you uh, suddenly, um, you know, being able to cope with all your problems. But what it's doing is it's really it's recentering you and bringing you back to kind of your three foot bubble and being able to take care of that in the moment. So that's a great one. One that I like to uh, talk about a lot of times with the people that come into my office is eating with your opposite hand. And so um, we eat every day, right? That's part of what uh, keeps us going. But when we switch hands, it really makes us focus on what we're doing. I am right-handed and I'm terrible with my left hand. I recognize that about myself. And so in order for me to eat a, uh, a bowl of spaghetti with my left hand, I really have to pay attention to what exactly is going on in front of me. Um, I can't eat a bowl of spaghetti with my left hand and also think about the stresses of the day or else I'll end up with spaghetti on my shirt, right? And so for me, that is a fantastic um practice of mindfulness, but there's, there's plenty of them out there, but really the main focus here is, um, bringing everything back to, uh, like, I guess your awareness. Yeah. That's an interesting way to put it. And that the exercise of you using your opposite hand, it's, it kind of reminded me of like when you drive a lot and you, you kind of are 
on autopilot while you're driving just because you've done that same road before and it's it's somewhat like with eating too it's just like out of habit like muscle memory but if it's your opposite hand you know right no you're absolutely right about that and we we encounter the experiences all the time right and so that is the that's the exact purpose of mindfulness is to get us away from those automatic thoughts those automatic habits and really being able to do that with intention Awesome. And so um, you right now, your, your office, it's, it's yourself and a civilian who's there too? Right. So right now we are, uh, we're doing some, uh, we'll, we'll call it a climate change uh, over there. So the way that behavioral health in Area 4 is uh, set up is that we have a uh, clinic at Camp Walker and we also have a clinic at Camp Carroll. They're both staffed by um, military and civilian personnel. Right now I am the only uh, Area 4 behavioral health officer. And so my time is split between the clinic and the outreach. So uh, you'll find me doing things like this, right? Getting out uh, in the front, uh, in the footprint, in the units, but also in the clinic. And so we have other providers that are strictly in the clinic. So you'll uh, you'll see their caseloads are much larger. But at the end of the day, we are all um, we're all qualified, we're all licensed, and we're all able to um, meet the needs of the soldier. So aside from the actual behavioral health clinic, we also have a lot of other resources that are available to soldiers, right? So uh, have you ever heard of MFLEC before? I have, yeah. Okay, perfect. And so MFLEC is a fantastic resource uh, for our soldiers. And let's say that's, so that's military family life consultant? Yes, Okay. Uh, right, absolutely. And so they, they possess the same licenses as our um as our providers in the clinic, so they can do all the same types of things. There are some benefits to the MFLEC um, that are a little bit different than behavioral health. So it's, um, I will say, different in terms of kind of the reporting aspect. So in behavioral health, we have this thing called confidentiality, which is consistent across all behavioral health, right? So uh, in general, what you say in that room stays with that provider. Uh, There are some exceptions that uh, mainly have to do with safety and uh, needs of the mission, but um, I'm not going to go tell my friend, you know, what we Mm -hmm. talked about. It's it's safe in that room. So MFLEC has an extra layer to that in that uh, Um, what happens in there does not go in the medical record. So they keep it confidential and private on their own side. And they're more tailored to uh, addressing life circumstances and kind of the the daily life stressors. And so if you find yourself uh, having problems at work or having, um, you know, Korea is a difficult assignment, especially if you are unaccompanied, right? And so if you find yourself either missing your family or having um, some difficulty with those communications or or um, the relationship's just not going as great as you thought that uh, it would or that it could, they're the perfect uh, individuals to talk to because they are, uh, that's what they specialize in, right? And so they have kind of the same qualifications maybe as you, some of the same skills, but they just look focus on those different areas? Yep, so they have all of the same, all the same skills as, um, as kind of the, the core behavioral health. There's a couple of different uh, specialties within behavioral health. And so with us in our clinics and with the Inflex, we have social workers and we have psychologists. Um, Everybody can do therapy and social workers are, uh, they have additional training in kind of that care coordination uh, pieces and psychologists have additional training in testing. And so they uh, at Inflex 
are primarily social workers. Um, there may be some uh, licensed professional counselors, but if you think big picture, they do the same thing. If you if you have something you'd like to talk about, they are more than qualified to help you out with that. If um, if you need some testing, then you would go to a uh, behavioral health clinic, and they will set you up with uh, myself as a psychologist uh, to do that testing. And when you say testing, what 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 does that entail? So it really runs the gamut. Um, here in Korea, we don't do a lot of the bigger testing just um, because of resources and because of the nature of a one-year assignment. But if it's things like um, fitness for duty, which um, I we can talk about in a minute, which is a small portion of what we actually do, but some of that requires some testing. If you have specific concerns about learning disabilities, um, IQ, things of that nature, those are the times that we would need to do testing. Um, with that being said, psychological testing is not something like, hey, you know, I want to know what my IQ is. Can I get tested? Uh, it's on a needs basis and it's really on kind of needs of the army basis. Mm. And so if you're doing great at work, um, but you're just curious, it might not be the best time to um, to get tested, right? But if you notice that you're, you're struggling uh, with a certain aspect or, you know, I've tried, I've tried learning this for three years or for my entire life, and I'm just not getting it. Um, we may be able to have some of those conversations. And that could lead to uh, more treatment for that potential disability. Yeah, ab- absolutely. That's that's why we do the testing. It is to give us more information so that we can better inform our treatment plan for you. Uh, we never do it on a whim, right? We never do it without a purpose. Um, part of that is because, I mean, that's what we do in the army, right? Is we're always driving in the same direction. And also it's just responsible not to, uh, not to test just because not to settle a bet who has a higher IQ or something like that. Right. As as much as I would love that, that is, uh, that is not the purpose of, uh, of testing. And you mentioned the, the fitness for duty aspects there. So maybe we can kind of move into, you know, we, we recently had a suicide awareness month in Mm -hmm. September and that's kind of a, a topic, um, within the army right now is like looking for, early warning signs. Maybe we could talk about how leaders can use your services to, um, you know, in their own unit prevention for them. Sure. So first let's talk about how leaders can just engage, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, reducing the stigma, breaking the stigma starts from the top. And so it's uh, kind of incumbent on the, uh, on the leaders to normalize this conversation and to um, not make it a punitive process, right? And so um, one of the biggest stigmas in behavioral health is that um, nobody else has it, right? It's only me, which is the nature of behavioral health because we can't see it. There's not an x-ray that I can give you that says, hey, you have a broken behavioral health bone, right? That's not the way it works. And so as we get on social media, as we walk around our units, we aren't able to identify right off the bat that, hey, this person is really struggling with something in behavioral health. So our main way of uh, identifying that is with these conversations. and so by normalizing that by the leaders, uh, it really opens the door to um, really that safe communication and that care coordination. And so, yeah, if you're, I think that the natural inclination is to think like everyone else is normal, you know, because mm-hmm. you don't see, you know, everyone else struggling maybe, but you can feel your own 
struggles. Right, exactly. Um, kind of the way I frame it is that we, we see the best piece of everybody else and the worst piece of ourselves, right? Because we, uh, we have this identity management where we are always uh, inherently as humans trying to uh, put on the best face that we can, right? Um, and in a, in a military environment or just in any environment we're around the same peers all the time, um, we kind of lean towards that, that I want to... Um, I want to put the best version of myself forward. Social media has not helped with that at all, right? Because we can um, choose what we put online. If we take a bad picture, we retake it, right? But we understand the struggles that we're going with. And I think normalizing that conversation and being able to um, speak openly about what's really going on, I think um, we would find out that there's a lot more people um, that are having similar difficulties. And so how would you, uh, what tips do you give leaders to help normalize that, that conversation? So I would never uh, outright tell a leader to say, hey, you have to talk about your own behavioral health experiences. I, I fully respect that that's everybody's decision. But um, being open to those conversations and also not making it a punitive process, right? So uh, in the past, I've heard things like, oh, my, uh, when I go to behavioral health, my commander makes me uh, tell them where I'm going, right? Which um, for accountability, you have to know you have an appointment, right? Um, and it's on commanders to really uh, use their discretion and not, uh, not force that process and be uh, just as open with a behavioral health. You know, I'm going to be gone from the unit for an hour and a half um, for behavioral health. Um, make that the same as I'm going to physical therapy you know, for my sprained ankle so that I can get back in three weeks or a month, because really we're doing the exact same thing. We are providing physical therapy uh, for the psyche. So we are not, uh, we're, we're trying to get you back to a uh, full level of functioning, right? Even if you, uh, even if you don't um, think you have a behavioral health, we'll call it a diagnosis, right? Or quote unquote, a problem. Um, everybody can uh, improve on something just like we go to the gym uh, you know my my biceps are smaller than i want them to be so i do bicep curls right we can do the same thing even if we're happy with who we are uh, we can still talk and improve and so i think if commanders take that non-punitive approach uh, and really that supportive approach to, hey, I am, it's awesome that you're going to, uh, going to get better, right? Or going to improve yourself. Uh, I think that will slowly start to change the culture around behavioral health. Connecting this to suicide prevention, how do you, how do you help people connect with, what tips do you give them to connect with uh, their soldiers and form those relationships? Yeah, under, uh, relationships is huge, right? Uh, especially when we talk about the impression management piece when we don't really understand people. We only understand what they are putting out, right? And so um, it's important to get that deeper level of understanding of who you're, if you're a leader, you know, who your soldiers are, but also if you're a battle buddy, uh, you know kind of the battle rhythm, you know uh, what they do daily, right? And so when you start to notice these changes, when you start to um, notice that like they, they are not uh, the same person that they used to be, that might be an indication that, hey, something has changed here. Uh, and rather than referring them, oh, let's take you to the hospital because I'm scared, which of course, uh, if there's any question about safety or risk, always take them somewhere, right? But I think it starts with that conversation so that uh, people can feel comfortable opening up to a battle buddy or to a leader that, hey, something's going on. Um, maybe they understand why. Maybe they have no idea why. They just feel different. But uh, at the core, it's really about uh, making it known to somebody else. 
And you need that level of trust for them to, to be able to share that with you too. Right. And that trust doesn't develop once there's an incident, right? Like once somebody is thinking about hurting themselves, that's not the time to start building that trust. It, it starts from day one when you talk about, you know, Hey, you know, how's your dog doing? I saw, I saw your family walking, uh, walking your two dogs and one of them had a limp, right? Or, you know, how's your, how are your kids grades doing? Do they like their new school? That starts way earlier on in the process. But what it does is it builds that credibility uh, as a person, not as a leader. Uh, there's a reason why these leaders get promoted because they're good at arming, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it really builds that credibility as a human. And I think that is um, just as important, if not more so, especially when we're talking about behavioral health, that um, everybody is a human. And the more open that we can uh, be with each other, uh, the more support we would have as a unit and as an individual soldier. Okay, that's awesome, sir. So we talked on touched on a lot of things. Is there anything else you want to add before we wrap things up? Uh, I think my biggest, I guess, closing remark would be uh, talk to somebody, right? Especially if um, if you're going through something, you are not alone in that process and you shouldn't have to be alone moving forward. And so uh, if anything is going on, whether you think it's normal, not normal, um, talking to somebody is not weird, right? And so uh, making it known and finding that support within your within the ground level and then also um, seeking the professional support is, uh, is not something that is weird or unique to you. It's something that a lot of people deal with and a lot of people overcome. And so that's the whole purpose of uh, this whole behavioral health thing is that uh, we're taking a good person, making them great and kind of seeing edges where we can refine. And so... I guess closing line is we're all on the same team. We're all fighting the same fight and um, we're in this together. That's great, sir. And, and what, and finally, what what's an easy way to get in touch with your office? So uh, I will give you all of our information. We have a lot of telephone. Uh, we've got a lot of phone calls, but um, the camp Walker clinic and camp Carroll clinic uh, TCC is the easiest way to get a hold of us to walk in to uh, ask us questions we are always available for conversation even if you just like if you don't know what behavioral health is or what we offer we're more than happy to sit down and have those conversations with you so you can walk in on camp walker or there's also the appointment line too yep. they- a- absolutely you can call the appointment line they will get you set up with whatever clinic um whatever clinic that you are closest to. Uh, Walk-ins in general, uh, if there's safety concerns, absolutely walk in, go somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And then make it known, whether that be the TTC, whether that be uh, some sort of emergency department somewhere, it's most important that you uh, get with somebody somewhere and then they will direct you in the right direction. Okay, well, that's great stuff, sir. And thanks again for uh, for joining us here on the Every Soldier Counts podcast. We want to thank Captain Ryan Seaver, Area Four Behavioral Health Officer, for coming by. And uh, we'll ta- maybe we'll have hopefully have you back again, sir. You're here for another few months, uh, several months in Korea. Absolutely. All right, and keep listening to us right here on the Every Soldier Counts podcast. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>